In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. We have been so privileged in this country. We've said this before. We've said this on multiple topics. We, ha- we do not experience any kind of issue that is even comparable to what the people of Ukraine or the people in that part of the world experience. Artillery fire and, and shellings from, from Russia, sirens in the air, raids, gunfire in the streets. That's normal. That's commonplace. That's, that's insane to me. I know I'm privileged because I, I live in this country. Other than a couple mass shootings here and there and some asshole with a, with a, with a pistol and a carjacking here and there, that's just, it's going to happen because crime is just going to happen. That's, that's nothing compared to what they deal with. We look at that and we say, oh my God, thoughts and prayers and whatnot. But then it becomes real, like you're saying, if we were to actually send boots on the ground, our actual people. Look what happened with Vietnam. Vietnam was the very first time the American public got to see what war looked like. Before then, it was just pictures or shoddy footage that was black and white. Over 900 feet, your your American boys are taking the hill in Japan. And it was like, it was a fun way to get people buy war bonds. People didn't associate blood and guts and explosions and limbs falling off with any, any of that. They didn't realize that until after the war was over. And it was still like, well, that's the cost of war. And then Vietnam happened and we have actual color television, people, reporters actually with infantry units in the jungle wearing helmets like idiots, asking questions. There's literally a, a video online of a reporter from CBS interviewing a, an infantry platoon about what's going on. And then they take fire. And then this guy gets shot in the leg and he's on the ground getting his leg patched up. And the guy comes over and says, how are you feeling? And it's like that meme from Joe Rogan asking Conor McGregor, how's it going while his leg snapped in half? And it's like, you're getting shot at. And then, so the American public got to see that. And to this day, we still don't know how to grapple with the reality of war. When the, the fact is that other people, other citizens, other civilians who will never touch a rifle, never enlist in, in their military, live in, 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 in constant fear every day, every, every second that you know a, a warhead or something could go off in their area, but they've learned to live with it. They still go to the market. They still feed their kids. They still do what they can with school. And that's just how it is. And that's why to me, nuclear warfare for us has been thrown around as, as, a, as almost like a joke. Like it's our, our the last 20 years of, of Afghanistan and, and, and our dealings with Iraq and Iran and any, and, and the entire Middle East quagmire. How often have you heard someone say, let's just, let's just nuke it. Let's just turn it. Let's just turn that sand to glass. They, they're, they're lost. They're a third world country that have no remorse for what they've done or what they did. They have no way to handle the corruption with, with the, the different Muslim extremists that exist over there. So it's just, it's just fucking nuke them. I've heard that way too many times. It frustrates me because I know that there are a lot of good people, a lot of innocent civilians who live there who are just kind of stuck in the way, stuck in the culture. And that's just how it is. It's just so easy for us to say, let's launch a nuke. I think I'm more afraid of one of our generation in the next 20 years getting their hands on, the, on, on a nuclear weapon if we become more and more desensitized because it's going to be like like a video game to them where it's like, oh yeah, nuke, nah, nuke. When, in, when in, in Russia or China or whatever, I think they have a more heightened understanding of what the effects of that would be because they see the effects of smaller weapons all the time. Common 90% of, of our citizens in this country don't know what a, a mortar round looks like or, or what the damage it does, let alone a grenade or a, a gunshot wound. No one knows what that looks like or feels like. Meanwhile, in other countries like Russia, you have people who are getting their legs blown off daily or, or Ukraine. We're afraid of them launching a nuke. I think they're more aware of what the, the outcome of that would be. No, I mean, if anything, in the, the Middle East quagmire, as it were, or even just like our invasion of Iraq, like, I mean, we're clearly capable of terrible, terrible things. And I mean, with like drone warfare and like 
how many fucking innocent people like we fucking killed with drones. Yeah, it's becoming very it's it's a very it's always been the separate thing really since like Vietnam. It's been this very separate thing from us, right? Like 9-11 is the closest it's gotten to home. And from that, yeah, we're 20 years in a war that we should not have been in. Generally, people agree on that at this point. I, you, we should get back on top on, on the topic of nukes, too, right? Because like I, I want to ask, is the nature of the conflict or the nature of what's going on in a place, does that change how the public feels about it? Because like, right, during Vietnam, we had uh, there was like there was I mean, it was very divided. Like some people were like, yes, we're I mean, war okay good and then people were like what what the fuck and we were actually seeing it but like if you actually saw the images from world war ii as it was happening would that change people's perception on the existential threat that we faced in terms of like the nazis and, and japan it's true because of how world war ii went down we didn't really get super involved until after pearl harbor and then even still we didn't do anything crazy until like our full force didn't go in until 1944 in with D-Day and Operation Overlord. And then, of course, we helped win the war pretty quick. We we only went in because we were attacked and there was enough pressure from the other Western countries along with that attack. We got there and it was uniformed soldier wearing a swastika that we could identify with as evil. That, that That's the biggest change in, in the course of history is that now we don't have people who are wearing fancy outfits who look like Nazis. I mean, not for all their failings, the Nazi dress uniform was just, it just looked good. Oh yeah, it was, that's a snazzy uniform. Absolutely. Right. It looks, it looks fucking dope. Unfortunately, it's it's also synonymous with evil. We can look at that and say, ah, that is a bad guy. There was a lot of isolationists in, in the 1940s. When Poland was invaded, there were calls for America to get involved. And for the next three years prior to Pearl Harbor, it was nothing but no, 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 no. Don't even send them a bullet. Don't even send them, don't send them money. You can send them thoughts and prayers, but that's about it. And people were adamant about that. They did not want to get involved in another war because we had just gotten over World War One with the same people, Germany, Italy, France, etc. in the same fucking region. That's like, we're really 20 years later, we're doing the same shit. And even World War One to that to that end is that there was a lot of isolationists who were like, no, 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 no. Because America was still kind of young and getting over the 1890s and the Spanish-American War and, you know, the Civil War had just kind of wrapped up, but we were still healing from that in the 1860s and the and Reconstruction in the 1870s. All of this is really close together. Like 18, 1865 to 1945 is not that long of time. It's less than 100 years for all our, our country to all of a sudden become this massive power with our military and our capabilities. And now to be called upon for every little thing that happens in the world. There were a lot of civ civilians who were like, whoa, no, because that means us sending you know our sons and daughters somewhere. And that's I'm not OK with that. And then it became to a point where it's like, well, we have to get involved. And then everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. This is bad. And then Nazism and fascism became common words that everyone started to understand. And communism became a common word that everyone understood during the Cold War. And then we saw the concentration camps. And that was an even larger nail in the coffin for the Nazi regime. It's like, okay, these guys aren't even, they're not evil. They're just the worst. They're the absolute worst. This is insane. Had we had color photos and, 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 and Vietnam style imagery of World War II prior to the discovery of concentration camps, I guarantee you there would have been pushback for why we're there. Because we lost a lot of people in a short amount of time. There were there were thousands that died it, just with a 
of machine gun fire from a bunker on the beaches of of Omaha. That was that's insane. Watch watch Saving Private Ryan. How many people? How many Amer- Americans die within a snap of a fingers? Was it worth it to, to to throw that many bodies just to get in and liberate France? We now know because history is is you know hindsight is twenty twenty. It was necessary. You know we didn't discover the concentration camps or at least the degree to which they were being done until we got there and physically found them. And then there was images that came back and everyone's like, holy fuck, we have to kill these people. So now with everything being streamed on Twitter, you can. Like literally everyone has a cell phone. It's almost comparable to the police situation that every police officer is under a microscope. Every soldier is under a microscope. Every motion that a commander is making out there in the field is under a microscope, whether it be our military or the other militaries. You are so susceptible to public perception. So now what does that do to your warfare? What does that do to your, your ability to actually act? Now your your rules of engagement have changed and they're not just they're not just as simple as don't kill a civilian. It's it's now, okay, that guy has a weapon and he looks like a bad guy. But you're also in a country that people just open carry AK-47s whenever they want to. It doesn't mean he's going to kill you. It just means that he's walking around. Do you have to like wait and ask for permission before you open fire? Does he have to fire on you? Well, now that means you're accepting a possible death in your group before you can actually open and fire and engage him. So things things change now because everything is under the microscope. I don't know how that relates to nuclear warfare, but it's going to be it's our, our warfare's changed. <laughs> I guess I want to bridge it. What happens if we see like a North Korean nuke just went off in Japan? and killed untold amounts of people. Is there even a chance for our public to respond before our government is and our president is making a decision to intervene? Well, we were talking about like World War II. There was three years where there was like isolationists and people like, oh, we need to get involved. Things are bad before they even saw what was happening. Nukes are just this like cataclysmic and immediate thing where we would immediately see the destruction that happened. How much of a, a response time does the world stay, the world have before there's a response and how immediate does that become? Is it like we find out and then two minutes later we're launching nukes at North Korea? Is that what it is? Yeah, no, I, th- I see what you're asking. I, I think, I think, no, I think it's, I think it's instantaneous. I think this is a dumb analogy, but where, where does most breaking news come from in the world today? Twitter, specifically Twitter. I mean, you can maybe argue that it's in conjunction with Snapchat and Instagram and, and, you know, you can post in your story and, and have a real time, like, you know, you're at a bar drinking a beer. That's like real time. Ha, you know, whatever that that's where we get all of our information. TMZ breaks most of our, 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 our local news. I think I found out about a mass shooting the other, the other, whenever it happened last from TMZ. And then it's like, okay, well, TMZ is a celebrity gossip magazine. So I'm on, I'm going to go online and, and try to vet it and, and try to confirm with other sources and no other sources reporting it. No one. And it, it took like an hour. It took an hour before USA Today picked it up and said, yeah, there was a mass shooting. So yeah, I, I think I think you're going to have guys on Twitter live tweeting something happening. They're, you're going to have someone who's going to live tweet an incoming missile and then it's going to go to black. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has a phone. Whenever there's a car crash, it's like back in the day, it's like, oh man, how'd that happen? Well, now we're going to know how it happens because everyone has an angle. Everyone's recording their phone. Every, there's going to be a, somewhere on that road, there's going to be a child holding their phone, recording the streetlights going by really fast just because, and they're going to happen to catch the car crash in a really good angle. And we're going to be able to figure out what happened. There's going to be such a quick public response to what's going on that it's we're, they're going to know about it at least parts of it before even our president knows about it. Now, our president's going to know when it's launched 
they might have intel as to when it the guy's walking towards the button to press it, maybe. But for the most part, once it's up in the air, it's public it's public knowledge. And as soon as you see that streak of I mean, today we even have astronauts on the ISS who are who are able to live tweet things. So that and that astronaut might be able to be like, oh shit, that's different. What's going on? A live tweet. So it, it would be in a pretty immediate response. And then and then that's that's my fear is that now you have you have less than five minutes to react let's say whatever that maybe the, whatever the distance between the target and the launch site is you have less than five minutes to act so we have missile defense systems we have things in place to stop a missile in route but that's a short amount of time well what's the target maybe we don't know maybe the public is speculating maybe there's this all this massive fervor in the air that now the president i fear might worry a little too much about public perception and, and, oh, well, I better make the right choice and I better do it calculated and, and there better be a focus group and I better make sure that I have a really good speech prepared. And hey, White House social media person, make sure you make a good branded post about how awful they are. And, and all these extra things that obviously wouldn't be happening in that five minutes, but they're going to be a thought. That thought process and that that simple hesitation slows down what we could be doing. Are we still going to be able to stop warhead in the air? I would hope so. We have the systems to do it. What's the response now? Because now now the response is, let's say you have, after defeating the missile and no one is dead, thank God, Russia, or let's say, it's just say Russia for the, the sake of argument. Well, Russia still launched the nuke. They still have the intent to actually detonate that weapon. So what's our response? I guarantee you half of this country is going to sound off on Twitter. There's going to be polls on Twitter. Let's fucking nuke them back. How dare they? And the other half is going to be like, no, but let's make sure we handle it. So now the president has to figure out how does he, who, who does he, make happy? Is it the electorate? Does he worry about his campaign? Is it a campaign year? Is it election year that, that he has to worry about his approval rating? Does he have a bill in Congress that he's trying to get passed on healthcare or something that might be at risk if he makes a, a poor choice in this in this matter? All these things compound. And I might be over-exaggerating a couple of things to just to make my point, but it's, it's more than just a military response. It's more than just his capacity as a commander-in-chief to make that choice and that tactical decision, unfortunately. So you have to take into consideration the public public's perspective, but I also think maybe fuck the public. Because in some ways, the public doesn't know what's really going on. And the public has entrusted you with their vote to make that decision. And then it's up to you after the fact, after you make that somber choice or whatever that choice might be, to then explain and communicate and, and, and be the statesman you need to be at the podium and explain yourself rather than just let the media go crazy. That's I, don't, I mean, that, that that's not going to happen today. We know that. Is that the worst thing? I'm like, my. I guess my question was, it was expressing my worry that the response and or retaliation and or just how everything plays out happens so quick. There's even, there's like no thinking involved. It's just like immediate. Is slowing that process down and like really understanding like the existential grave nature of what's about to happen is thought through regardless of, yeah, the, the public perception of what's happening. Like, are you even going to have an understanding of what's happening before everything comes to an end? Is that, that's my, that's my question. <laughs> are you asking from a, from a standpoint of like, like the actual doomsday people are just, it's just, it's just it. I guess. Yeah. Does that preclude doomsday? Does a nuke going off or getting launched at a place preclude just this instant retaliation back and forth? Remember. 
Every month, Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, that's great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions. The Kogan Conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse, paired with a glass of whiskey, of course. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. One September afternoon I wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from the Coden Conversation? Subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers! Okay, let's war game this out a little bit. This is fun. <laughs> um, let's say Russia launches a nuke into Ukraine. Let's say they launch a nuke at Kiev. Kiev is, I want to say, less than 2,000, no, maybe 3,000 miles away from Moscow, maybe, maybe further. I, I can't I can't think of, Ukraine, Ukraine's on the far western border of Russia. And I'm sure Russia has launch sites that are closer to Kiev than Moscow. Let's assume they have a launch site within a couple thousand miles of Kiev, within the Russian border. Let's say they even they might have even put something up in Crimea in the last five years, right? Because they've, they've had control of Crimea. Um, that means that you're going to have a pretty quick launch to, to detonation, right? There's going to be no question. It's just going to go up and down. Boom. So there's not going to be much time to react to that. So it's going to happen. If, if, if Russia were to launch a nuke at Kiev, it's, it's going to happen. You can't stop that. Kiev blows up, hundreds of thousands dead, hundreds of thousands wounded, over a million casualties all in total. What's next? What's the what's the response from Ukraine? Well, Ukraine doesn't have warheads. They might they might have some artillery fire and, and, and missiles and stuff, but they don't have what Russia has. So Ukraine is probably going to start begging on its hands and knees to the Western world and NATO and France, Germany, Italy, anyone who has the capability of like coming to their aid. Like we just got nuked. Because when you launch a nuke, you're stepping a line. And and I think that might be how we treat it, is if it were to happen, is that that, that is a line that we all cannot accept. That if because if you can launch a nuke then you can launch a nuke whenever and that's not going to be good in my opinion that's it no more nukes would be launched i don't think we we're going to nuke moscow i think we'd go in and just you know fuck shit up and i don't know if we'd actually physically go in but i think there would be a, a world response that russia would not find soothing uh they'd be done that's that's just say for the sake of argument hotter heads prevail if a nuke goes off in Ukraine, shit hits the fan. I think that that gives other countries who are kind of waiting to fuck around free reign to say, oh, okay, shit's hitting the fan. Sweet. Because I think what other countries are going to assume is that there would be a European or an American response in kind. Iran takes that as an opportunity to fire more missiles and artil artillery fire into Israel. And maybe if they have a nuke at that time, or they've been hiding the fact that they have atomic capabilities, um, we, we know they've been building and trying to get there. They might use that as, a, as an excuse to just have, have fun because they're crazy. And then Israel, I would expect would respond in kind to the Palestinians and to, to Iran and those outside of Jerusalem's walls. 
I think I think that would be a pretty a pretty massive response because Israel ain't going to have any of that. So now you have that happening next to Russia and Ukraine. And then you have North Korea who might even use that as an opportunity to go, oh, okay, well then we're just going to nuke Japan or at least fire something at Japan because we can. And we can show that we're also the big boys. We also can play at this table. We also can have, have drinks with you at the bar. And they do so. And now Japan is crippled. Japan doesn't have the capabilities to fire back because Japan's pretty isolated and non-militaristic. But we have bases in Japan. We have bases in Poland. We have bases in Israel. So now our personnel are at risk. And now, by proxy, we're going to get drug into this war alongside other UN countries. So us, the UK, and the rest of us have to now decide what's our response. Is it boots on the ground in a conventional style? Is it asymmetric warfare? You know, is it just special warfare that goes, uh, special operators that go in and do you know, special forces stuff and spooky under the radar stuff? Or is it launching missiles? I would assume that the United States would not want to just launch missiles at Moscow or at North Korea. I don't think we would get there because there's going to there's gonna be a lot of casualty when it comes to the civilian side, a lot of collateral damage. I think we'd exhaust every effort, every possible plan that we could, every course of action we could think of, on paper at least, where we can just use people and go in there and fuck shit up before we launch what would be leading up to a nuke. But let's say Russia doesn't give us that chance. Let's just keep making this worse and worse. Let's just say Russia decides, uh, we're going to nuke another part of Ukraine, or we're going to nuke Poland. We're going to go in and just nuke Poland. And because they've signaled that they want to, quote unquote, denazify Lithuania, Poland, Ukraine, some of the other Slavic countries, uh, former satellites of the of the Soviet Union. So let's just say they just go balls to the wall. They've already done it. What have they got, what have they got to lose? They already nuked a country. They just killed hundreds of thousands of people with a nuclear with a nuclear warhead. They're the bad guy. So either he's going to lean into it or he's not. And he's going to lean into it. He's going to nuke other countries. And I think that's going to include the people that he wants, like Poland and, 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 and Lithuania and Latvia. So now what do we do? Well, fuck. Well, he's in Moscow. There's a lot of civilians in Moscow, but we can't get to him because it's just, it's just, it's tactical suicide. We can't fly over because they're going to shoot us down. We can't walk over because that's insane. You can't drive over. You can't go by boat. They're, they're too well defended and fortified in the city of Moscow. We can't get to Putin himself. And Putin is there with a button. That's not probably how it works. I don't know exactly how they're set up, but so he's able to just do that. Well, we can't get to him. So now what do we do? Do we launch airstrikes? We could probably get some fighter jets there and fight off any and do dogfighting and, and fight off any Russian MiGs that are flying around the area. Probably okay. But it's still going to be uh, a path of some resistance, right? So maybe we make the tactical decision to say, well, maybe we launch a tactical nuke that's a smaller in scale nuclear warhead that they don't have the capabilities to shoot down. It goes too fast and it's just going to go in hot. And we launch it at the capital of Moscow and we kill, unfortunately, lots of civilians, but it's it's we have to justify the 50 plus thousand deaths of civilians to prevent the millions and millions and potentially billions of more bloodshed from more possible nukes because he's already signaled that he's willing to fire them off. Well, then that's the same the same argument and tactical description I just made, the same goes for North Korea. Can we get to North Korea without having firing a nuke? Can we get in there with a, a conventional missile? Can we get in there with airstrikes? Can we get in there with a predator drone or a robot or something that, that isn't going to cost the, the, the mass casualty of, of, of civilians that we want to prevent? If the answer is no to all those things, which I don't think it honestly would be in real life, then tactical nuke. And, and, and we, we surgically implant it from a missile silo. And it's going to be one, it's going to be a smaller, it's not going to 
to be like just oh here's our biggest nuke let's just fucking launch it we're going to be tactical about it and place it in a way that's going to have the the least amount of radius that leads that bleeds outside of, of where we want it to go but it's going to decimate whatever it is and we could t- honestly probably could do that without having a nuke we could probably do that tactical missile or icbm intercontinental ballistic missile but it, it, it depends i think i think honestly that the western nation's use of nuclear warheads is so last ditch effort it is like you are at your knees begging for mercy that, okay, fine, fuck it, fire a nuke. And then that's the equalizer. In real world, I don't think our response to even multiple nukes from Russia into Ukraine would be us launching nukes at, at, at Russia. I, I don't think it would be. I think that's just, that's too much because then we're almost guaranteeing more shenanigans happening and, and, and the, the death of the world. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'd be crazy. <laughs> but it, that alone, like... Is there a general knowledge that the, that would be the last ditch effort from the West? And does that almost ensure our loss on the world stage? It's based on my assumption. And again, I might be too naive. I can't and won't believe that it would happen to that. Like I, I, if, if we were to get nuked or something under someone who was so unconventional and bombastic as Trump, let's say, that he would just like, okay, fine, nuke. Really? I, I, don't, I don't even think him and his worst is that crazed. It's such a massive step over a line that hasn't been crossed ever. It, you're like you're like there's a line to cross, and then like you're stepping. If you launch a nuke, you're stepping into the next quadrant. Like that. That's how bad it is to me. So that doesn't mean it's not possible. That doesn't mean that that there are people out there like you know Muslim extremists like Al Qaeda and ISIS, etc., who wouldn't use it just willy-nilly. I'm not saying that's not possible. I just don't think that our response as a Western civilization would be in kind. I don't think I don't think it could be. I think we would have to be, if we wanted to preserve humanity, it would it would have to be uh choosing to send thousands of soldiers instead that 90% might die, weeks accomplish the mission and destroy their missile silo and prevent them from firing any more nukes rather than us firing a nuke ourselves because now you're you know what's the cost of a life i don't i don't know what we would do i I don't think i don't think if i was in the position what i if i i would exhaust every single aspect or every single path possible before i even thought about firing a nuke a nuke doesn't make sense to me because that just means we've entered into a new age of warfare that maybe we're going to be there in the next how many years but maybe we're there right now that's i think once you cross that line i think it's going to be dangerous and i i couldn't find myself unless absolutely on my knees begging for mercy would i ever press that button because i think there there are more avenues of approach and maybe that's me being naive maybe it is yeah i can't i can't it's it's hard to picture up until this point like we haven't lived in the cold war i mean I had to think about like what is the actual like speed of mutually assured destruction and what does that actually look like if you suddenly get an alert that like oh russia just launched 50 nukes at us like okay then that's end times like we respond because literally at that point where we can't shoot them all down right <laughs> and well at that time too is like maybe or if i'm going down you're coming down with me because like i would i definitely would i'm petty i would definitely do that if i knew like okay well this they're launching 50 nukes and we can launch we can we can defend off with our missile defense systems 12 at a time we would never anticipate any more than that well they fucking did it so shit all right well nice knowing you everyone i'm gonna launch all of our nukes at them and they can go fuck themselves and then 
that's just how it's going to end. But you, you, but you die knowing that you didn't lose. Everyone lost. You're right in terms of like that's not necessarily the next step of the line. It's just it's in two quadrants from where we're at. But it's absolutely worth thinking out and and understanding like how quickly things can escalate and get to that point. You know, and you step enough lines, it, it gets there quick. Because past like where we're at, where even like Russia is at now with like just invading a country, like yeah, we've done that. And I don't know, like there's not many steps in terms of weaponry between like you know hypersonic missiles and a tactical nuke there's only maybe one step in between those two things i don't actually know but there's a few but yeah and it's not you're, you're definitely i mean if you're using hypersonic missiles and 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 we we have some pretty phenomenal weaponry but the problem the difference with a nuke though is that you're you're now you're using something that has long lasting effects well after the fact what's the tactical advantage of a nuke versus some of the very advanced weaponry weapon systems we have that can do the same thing in the immediate you're going to blow up the thing you want to blow up right we have the capability to do that without having a nuclear fallout so what's the tactical advantage of having a nuke well the explosion is more raw you have more after effect and you you're gonna you're gonna kill the enemy you're gonna kill anything surrounding the enemy and uh it's just a show of force so at what point did do, do we decide as a world that well you know warfare is going to happen we're going to have war it's just it's just how the nature of, of the beast it's we had how many conflicts since world war one world war two where it's like well we're just going to keep doing this and we're going to put them out put the out little fires as we need to and you know we attempted with the un to have something that's going to be effective at having some world diplomacy and we've seen that that hasn't really worked out in the best way possible but it's at least a good thought right it's a good intention that we have a, a board of the big countries and we all discuss our issues we try to you're gonna you're not gonna stop just like you're not gonna stop crime on the streets if you look at it like a smaller picture look, look at the city of milwaukee city of detroit city of of, of Washington DC, you're going to have homelessness, you're going to have crime, you're going to have robbery, you're going to have gunshots at night, you're going to have Grand Theft Auto, it's, you're just, it's not going to stop. You can't, there's nothing you can do with a police force, you can, there's nothing you can do with legislation to stop that stuff. We, we just have to hope that communities evolve to a point where there's less incentive for those people to do those bad things. The same goes for the world stage. As much as China is an atrocious human rights violator, we still do business with them. And I, I think you and I have talked about this quite a bit, especially with Disney and Marvel and all and, and Hollywood at, at writ large. Why? You know, China China seems off its rocker. They they do these awful things. Why would we do business with them? Well, my, why would we continue to do uh, business with Russia today after what they've done to Ukraine? Well, maybe there's maybe there's incentive for us to keep trying to have some kind of connection because if we cut them off 100%, then that's where things get really sketchy. That doesn't mean that we should kowtow to them and 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 censor the word Taiwan from our Disney movies or any of that shit. But does that mean we don't do business with them? I think there's a fine line to play there. And I think we're we're increasingly getting into a globalist network and not that we're a globalist society in the, the bad sense of that term in the term that you and I don't agree with but in the term of just we're connected right we're we're a global society now we all know each other we all see each other we all like each other's pictures online how do we create that community in, in which there's less incentive for the, the Putins of the world and the Kim Jong-uns of the world and the Xi Jinping's of the world to exist, to take advantage of, 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 of common citizens? How do we make sure that that's not happening? And maybe there is a time where we all agree that, hey, there's not really any need for nuclear weapons, especially because they have a decay rate. And then if you, you have nuclear weapons that you built in the 80s, well, come 2030, 
you know, their half-life is going to get to a certain point and now you have to dispose of them. And well, what do you, how do you dispose of them? Well, it's this whole extra science that happens that is bad for the environment and bad for your health, causes cancer, et cetera. There's, there's other things that happen outside of their explosion. Their, their manufacturing is, is dangerous. We have a hydrogen collider that is it or hydron collider, whatever, however you, whatever I pronounce it. In, is it Switzerland where we're trying to manufacture atoms and, and recreate the big bang that at any moment could go off and half of the fucking planet could be destroyed just because we can doesn't mean we we should and it's like this stupid jurassic park jurassic world quote that makes too much sense that i hate to say but the manhattan project was why did we feel the need to build this weapon well because we learned about atomic energy and we thought that it would make a really good explosion that was unmatched and unparalleled by anybody else and then within we saw the effects of what it did to human beings and it's like oh shit but then we kept going because we were pushing the envelope of science because in 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 learning more about the big bang learning more about nuclear fission learning more about thermonuclear energy we both created nuclear power plants but then we also created a bomb why did we make the bomb there, well, that wasn't necessary, but we did because at the end of the day, it's a dick swinging contest. Like you said earlier, you don't want to be at the bar without a knife when there's a knife fight. You don't want to, you don't want to be caught with your pants down. You want to be able to be ahead of the game for uh, if there were ever to be that warfare. But then it goes back to my previous war gaming. It's like, well, I don't really think we'd ever actually use it because I don't think we need to. I think we are a sophisticated enough military. It's, it, so is so is the UK. So is France. So is Germany. And so is Italy. That we they wouldn't we wouldn't need to use an actual nuclear warhead to defeat a country that just used a nuclear warhead. Maybe we would. I don't. I don't know. It's it's inter it's an interesting question, and I, I I hope that we never learn the answer. I mean, I hope so too. But I mean, that at the risk of going too long, that just goes back to like Doctor Strangelove and like what else are we capable of developing? There's the doom the doomsday device they call it in the movie, where it's like yeah, and any it, we we created it in case a, a nuke ever went off in our country, it, it would trigger an automatic response that would uh, send nukes back at the whoever sent the nuke in the first place, right? And like you think about okay, advancement of science and like things that we probably shouldn't be developing, but we're going to because we learned about it and we can, and we're going to push the envelope. It's like, at what point do we have like some kind of artificial, and this is another existential thing where it's like artificial intelligence. At what point are they going to just rise up and, and kill all of humanity? Where it's like, at what point do we have an automated response that has control over all of our nuclear armaments and even stronger than that possibly, and just blows up the world? Like, is that out of the realm of possibility? <laughs> That's the thing is that right now we're, we're effectively arming Skynet. I hate to, I hate to get sci-fi about it but that's very a very real possibility you say ai we don't I even think about that for this entire conversation that's a very real possibility where if, if we integrate any of our systems into an ai personality to try to make things easier in the short term well in 20 years time that ai might learn to that humans suck and we're, we're going to launch a nuke also one of the, the the visuals i just got when we were having this conversation was planet of the apes and him finding walking up on on the statue of liberty and you know he's like he's he learns that he's on planet earth in a different time period you fast forward to the future you maniacs you blew it up then he learns that the that that the, the human population killed itself and then in below the planet of the apes which you know is silly but he, he finds the people with the big brains who are worshiping a nuclear warhead that hasn't gone off yet and they have these nuclear powers and whatnot and and it's just it's all this commentary on the fact that you you, you lose yourself in power i don't think we're there yet i think we could get there and i think that's the problem i think we're all just one arrow away from being boromir who needs the power ring yeah well here we are in our bunker as the bombs go off 
Uh, hopefully we make it through the night, and uh, if so, we will uh, broadcast to you again soon. Well, I the only thing I hope for is that if, if you know, since we are trapped down here as the bombs are going off, um, I hope that we can last for more than a week with the whiskey that we have. podcast is a work of passion and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over to our website and learn how you can sign up. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other. Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers.